3: Welcome to CEO Coach. I'm Jillian Musick, co-founder of Moz, and I'm here with my partner, Ann Kennedy, a serial entrepreneur and author of Global Search Engine Marketing. Together, we're serial entrepreneurs that help online companies to launch, pivot, and thrive. Find out more at outlinesventure.com. Welcome, Anne. Hey, Jillian. How are you today? I'm doing great. We have an amazing speaker with us today. She was a guest on our show some time ago, and I'm really, really excited to Welcome back, Kristen Luck. Hello, Kristen.
4: Hi, thanks for having me back.
3: Okay, it's wonderful to have you. So for those of you who are just tuning in, Kristen earlier sold Decipher. That was earlier this year. It's a market research firm, and she sold it to Focus Visions Worldwide. So I guess we're going to take this away. Anne, you've got some questions for Kristen that will illuminate some of the experiences we're looking at in 2015 and 16 about women and entrepreneurship. <laughs>
5: Right, Kristen. It is just wonderful to be able to talk to you again, because I think that your experience in the, your triple entrepreneurship <laughs> is going to, you know, you pro- I'm sure you have a lot to tell us. And the last time we talked, we just talked about what to do when you're selling a company and how it feels and, you know, all that sort of good stuff. And that was really cool. But I'd really like to dive into more about your experiences running your own companies and selling them successfully, and particularly from the point of view as a woman. But before we do that, tell us what you've been doing since January.
4: Yeah, so I, I exited the company actually at the end of February of this year. And then literally one day later, I started my consulting practice. <laughs> so I, I didn't really take any downtime, which was not originally my plan, but has turned out just to be a lot of fun. So I'm doing growth strategy consulting mostly working with early to mid-stage firms that are kind of suffering from one of three things. They're either stagnating growth-wise, so they're not experiencing a lot of movement or growth in their business, or they're looking to take on a round of funding, so they're kind of positioning themselves to go out for investment dollars. Or, you know, where I've had a lot of experiences, they're kind of pre- preparing themselves for an acquisition event. And so how do you kind of prepare the company and sort of, I guess, gird your loins in some ways for that process because it can be, it can be really intense. So what
5: do you tell people when they – or what do you tell these – it it wouldn't be a real early-stage company, would it, that would be preparing for an acquisition event? It would be a little bit more developed. Is that true?
4: Well, you know, it really depends. I mean, I think the interesting thing is, you know, I see later-stage acquisitions in the services side of businesses. But if you have a technology product, a lot of times there are companies that are actively out looking for technology investments they can make. That are earlier on in the, on in the game. And so there's kind of, there's a number of different things they look for. They either look for a a product that's really hot and is gaining a lot of momentum and where they feel like they can kind of get a premium price and where the founder might be tired or might not be having a great time going in alone and might be looking for a little more support. So, you know, I think it really depends on the founder. I think it depends on the product or service. And I I also think it, it depends on who the ultimate buyer is.
5: Oh, well, that's fascinating to um, think about. You know, we hear all the time about tech companies and how fast it moves and uh, how companies are sold even pre-revenue for ridiculous sums of money. (laughs) So you're saying that that it can actually happen. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, and I think it's hard too. you know, if you're a founder and you've been running, you know, you've been doing your startup for a a year or two and you're, you know, it's a grind, it's exhausting work. And somebody comes and puts a big fat check in front of your face, like it can be, it really can cause you to kind of take pause and think like, wow, this would be an amazing exit now. You know, and there's a few founders that I'm working through those scenarios right now where they've been offered, you know, a significant amount of money. Is it what their business might be worth three years from now? No, but they would have an opportunity to exit now. It's a sure thing. So. I think it's you know, you kinda of have to weigh the pluses and minuses of each scenario.
3: It's the okay. bird in the hand versus the two in the bush. Right. or even six yeah. in the bush. Or and ten I think the bush. some of the no. questions might be around whether or not they've got other ideas they want to build. Right? Yeah. Taking a hundred million now as opposed to a billion in five years. Well there's a huge amount of money differential on the flip side, you could go build your next idea and, you know, get get another billion if that's what you want. And sometimes exactly. it's not even just about the cash. It's about what you want to do. Right. Absolutely.
5: So here's the bonus question to bring it back to women. Are you working with any women founders?
4: I am, yeah. I'm working with, let's see, one, two female founders right now. One that is a really early stage startup, so I'm in an advisory role there, and the other, which is kind of a mid-stage company that, again, is kind of looking to pivot in their existing space and kind of grow grow the company. So. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be working with women. I mean, I, I think, you know, in the earlier stages of my career, and I may have mentioned this the last time we spoke, you know, I almost work, work exclusively with women. And now, you know, kind of in the more senior level stages of my career, I work almost exclusively with men. So it is nice to be able to collaborate with other female founders.
5: Well, that brings up an interesting point. Why do you think that is? You know, you've described this trajectory in your career of starting out working almost exclusively with women and now working almost exclusively with men. I'm sensing there's some kind of, I don't know, curve there. But can you tease that apart a little bit more for me?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a variety of things at play there. I mean... There's, the, you know, that famous quote that, and I can't remember who said it now, but it's, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And so I think for a lot of women, if they don't see other women moving into really senior management roles, C-level roles, or they don't see them starting their own companies, I guess it's less of a part of our thought process about about taking that next step. I also think in for a lot of firms, they're not set up to, I guess, accommodate the sort of unique needs of females in business which is to have a more flexible work life schedule. And certainly I think that benefits men as well. But I see a lot of women kind of opting out at certain points in their career because they've had children or because they decide they don't wanna work 80 hour weeks anymore. They opt to go in a different direction. You know that said, I am seeing more women starting their own companies. I have a you know a number of friends, it, particularly in the research space, that started firms in the last year. But I do think it's a lot harder to get funding as a female founder, and so and so that creates some barriers to also starting and, and getting a company rolling. Yeah,
5: you know, that's what we've heard, and we've been beating a drum about this for a year or so now, Jillian and I. That in fact. The percentage of funding that goes to women-founded companies is something ridiculously small, like somewhere between 6 and 13%, depending on which set of statistics you look at of venture capital. And yet, up against that, we also um, know that there is now uh, hard research that shows that women-founded companies perform 63% better than companies founded only by men. And it doesn't have to yeah. be all women. But and that was from research done by First Round Capital last year based on their survey of their 20 years. And I forget how many how many millions of dollars of investment of just their own companies that that 63 percent was you know, a pretty astonishing number. And yet. VCs are not lining up at the door, nor is private yeah. equity, you
3: know. Well, because- I think, right. Um, I should point out that we're going to put a link to that article in Fortune Magazine about the female founders doing better than the standard male-founded companies so that everybody can take a look at these stats right there in black and white. So there'll be a link on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Podcast.
4: There was a really interesting article that I was just kind of reread a couple of days ago. I think it was originally published out in 2013, but it was about why can't female tech founders get funding. And there was an accelerator called Village Capital, where about 50% or more of their companies were run by female co-founders. And yet they those companies were much less likely to get follow-on funding than those with all male founding teams. So I think that there are some really deep-seated gender biases that aren't aren't necessarily intentional but are just sort of ingrained in us, and I I think that's something that we'll likely talk more about after the break.
5: We certainly will because I think there's some very interesting uh, discussions to be had on that topic. We're going to take a break now. This is CEO Coach Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music. We'll be right back with Kristen Luck.
2: More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link related issues. Internet marketing ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet marketing ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at InternetMarketingNinjas.com.
0: at bruceclay.com.
2: We're back with Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on webmasterradio.fm.
3: Welcome back to CEO Coach. We're talking today with Kristen Luck about life after selling your company and about the various considerations before you sell it. Welcome back, Kristen. Hi, thanks. So it's been about a year since you sold your company and so on, I guess we're looking for some of the wisdom that you found along the way and whether it really made a difference being a woman selling her company versus a guy.
4: That's an interesting question because I have to say that I've, I've been really fortunate in my career. I've worked with a lot of really great men. I've had very successful um, and pleasant relationships with PE firms. And, I've I, you know, I haven't in the past kind of experienced a lot of gender bias or weird comments. But it's funny, just in the last year, I've I've had a lot of really odd interactions, which, you know, sort of, I think, play back to what what I had mentioned before the break, which is I think that there, there are, unfortunately, these pretty deep seated gender biases on the PE side of things. I mean, if you look at, you know, The gender distribution in a PE firm, it's rare that you even find a woman in a PE firm. I had a call with a private equity firm a month or so ago, and they were interested in investing in female-led companies and were kind of calling me to try to generate some ideas about that. But then when I looked at who's running the company and who's actually part of the PE firm, they literally didn't have one woman on there. And I said, I think I would have a really hard time actually recommending your firm to a female founder when you have no women in your company. I think, you know, the the gender disparity there is a a big issue. And I think it drives a lot of these other behaviors. And I think it's a comfort factor a lot of the time, you know, not knowing how to do business with women, not understanding how women communicate, and not understanding what's appropriate and not appropriate to ask during that process.
5: And we all know we've certainly had each of us a
3: number of inappropriate things asked of us <laughs> at times. Always, always, and so on. I think that, you know, inappropriateness certainly, you know, hits guys as well. You know, guys are probably asked as often, you know, does your wife or girlfriend, you know, are you worried about, you know, being away or, or you know, is she upset when you travel on your own and so on, just as women are asked and so on. It's just inappropriate all around. So some of them are not gender-focused, disparaging remarks or just off-color remarks. And some certainly will be. But beyond the simple remarks, I think the more important piece is that there is this underlying gender bias that says it is the exception for a woman to be excellent and it is common for the man to be excellent. And it's so deep ingrained that people don't even realize it. So I think you shared an interesting article with us that kind of goes (laughs) into that more deeply.
4: Yeah. So, And I can't remember which article I shared, but it, was it the Sequoia Capital article about Michael Moritz? It's not foot and mouth disease by and Jessica
5: thieves. Nordell that talks right. about a deeply hidden synaptic pathway yes. that's temporarily illuminated. Let's dig into that a little bit because obviously as human beings, we are all run by our deeply hidden synaptic pathways. Let's dig into this one a little bit.
4: Yeah. So it's interesting. So the context of that article for everyone who's listening is that Michael Moritz from Sequoia Capital made this comment at an event that the reason he didn't have more women in his company was that he wasn't prepared to lower their standards, which I thought was a really (laughs) interesting remark. And I think, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, my gosh, open mouth, insert foot, which was kind of the impetus behind this this article. You know, And I think Jess Nordell kind of highlighted something really important here, which is really not the problem that he misspoke or said something really idiotic. I think the problem is that the idea that women are not as good as men is so deeply embedded in the minds of so many people that it's not really even recognized anymore. And it's a belief system that kind of leads you to automatically, and I think one of the things she said is, you know, without awareness, kind of connect women to lower standards and you know, women, you know, sort of being the exception if they are really smart. And that, you know, that, again, kind of relates back to the deeply ingrained gender bias, which is, is not really reflective at all. You can see from the research that you quoted earlier, Anne, and then also, you know, a bunch of research that Catalyst has done, which is that, you know, having a woman in your business is, actually does a lot to impact profitability and the success of
3: that business. I agree. That article goes on to talk about how this deep ingraining says, you know, again, women of, with excellence are the exception is one of the root causes why men can be hired and promoted for their promise. And women are only hired or promoted for their past successes because it isn't expected that the women have the promise. And, you know, we've known this for a while and, and people are digging deeper into that at this point. It's difficult. I would say that an unrelated article talked about kind of working with people that you already know being kind of a bad piece of advice. And we're going to dig into that in another show here, not too long. But it really does make sense. The Old Boy Network, works because people are comfortable working with people who are like themselves, right? This mirror image process you know, goes so deeply ingrained into entire societies, not just individuals and so on, so it perpetuates itself. If yeah. men have been running things, they will continue to want to run things, and that makes all kinds of sense. So it's not just about power. It's also about a deep-seated comfort, this mirror image that we see from our babyhood onward, and then uh, the stereotypes that get set in so early. So we've got a lot of work to do, and uh, we'll see how it goes over the years.
4: You know, I think what, what's kind of interesting is when you look at funding in that sort of private equity community, you know, female founders in general tend to kind of under-promise and over-deliver you know, women kind of tend to undersell themselves. And that's really a problem when you're talking about fundraising. I mean, men, men typically, you know, in my experience kind of tend to oversell things and overpromise, And women are just a little more conservative and cautious in general. And so, you know, that kind of works against us in that private equity setting where people really, you know, they want this pie in the sky and they want someone to, you know, like blow their minds and, you know, bust the doors off of revenue and profitability. And I think in some cases, we also have to modify how we talk about ourselves and our business. Right?
3: There In some is ways, a- yes, but I think that bringing a little balance into it as well is a good idea. The idea that every company has, oh, yeah, a 50%, 60 70% chance of becoming the next unicorn. Well, maybe you've got a 5% right. chance. And really, that <laughs> is a much better way to look at it say, look, I've got a solid plan, and you can solidly exit it somewhere between 4 and 8x, maybe even 10x. Right. But you've got a shot at the stars, right? That makes so much more sense than saying, oh, yeah, we're just definitely going to make it there. Yeah, that's, as you say, overpromise. And so there should be a balance. I'm hoping that over time it isn't just that women will stand up and speak more clearly about their potential, but put it into perspective and bring a new norm to that system. So here's hoping.
4: Yes. Fingers crossed.
5: Fingers crossed. You know, I, th- I think it's very interesting, judging from the number of pitches that Jillian and I have been privileged to sit through in the past few months, how many of them go from, oh, here's how we're going to make money and we're going to be 19 billion in two years. It's like, really? <laughs>
3: yes. And I didn't hear a single woman making that pitch. Did you, Jillian? Actually, I didn't. And that yeah. kind of a, perhaps it's an anomaly. There must be some who do as well. But I think they're also kind of founders are being taught to do that by a large subset now of, of folks who serve that industry. Right? There's an entire profession, if you will around helping companies to make that first pitch, and Kristen, you're doing that work now too. Many individuals, there are a few companies who kind of hire specialists and bring them all in, but many individuals are out there, so the voices are surprisingly similar. Get out there, tell them you could make billions and and go for it, and that's how you form a pitch deck, even if you go online and just kind of get generic information, same sort of thing. So I guess it's no surprise that we hear so many of them.
4: Yeah, it's interesting because I do feel like, and you know, being female is actually working in my favor a lot in my consulting practice because I am able to go into companies where there are no women in senior management and really give a more feminine perspective on what's going on and maybe where there are some more opportunities to growth that they haven't thought about otherwise. So I think for me personally, it's really benefiting me. <laughs>
3: That's good. That really is good. The lone voice in the wilderness moves to actually moving the needle on making positive change. So very and, and, good stuff.
5: And maybe not all the emperors have clothes, right? Right. <laughs> no. So we need to take a break. And what we'd really like to do is talk with you for another two hours, Kristen, but obviously we can't. <laughs> but if we could come back with some ways that you think we can help amend this situation.
4: Yep, Absolutely.
5: Okay, this is in Kennedy and Jillian Music talking with Kristen Luck. We will be right back.
2: More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this.
3: Internet Marketing, Inc. designs fully integrated digital programs that improve brand experiences and grow businesses through valuable data insights and strategy across all types of media. Paid, owned, and earned. Their digital experts nimbly adapt strategy by providing you a comprehensive view of your brand's online audience and program performance. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing, Inc. today. At 866 563 0620
0: or visit Internet
2: Inc.com. We're back with Julian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on Webmaster Radio. FM.
3: Welcome back to CEO Coach. We're going to take a moment with Kristen Luck here to get some top tips on how to amend the situation of, you know, female founders and how they represent themselves, valuations, selling your company, so on. From start to finish, what would you suggest our listeners do, Kristen? Geez, from start to finish, that's a tough one.
4: (laughs) There's so many things that you have to do to go through that process. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the biggest tips that I give to any founder is that you should go into your startup already understanding what your exit strategy is going to be. Because I think that really helps you kind of build and mold the company that, you know, toward that, that eventual goal. I think too many times I see people get so sort of ingrained or meshed in the day to day that they kind of lose sight of, of what that end goal, which is to eventually monetize the company. And, you know, it's so easy to get sucked in and distracted by the day to day that, you know, really going back periodically, like every quarter, kind of revisiting what what that end game looks like, I think is is really helpful to kind of keeping keeping startups on
3: track. That makes sense. I know that there's advice that just says exactly the opposite, that you should not build companies to its exit, but build them so they are valuable and will last for the next hundred or thousand years, and it will solve itself. But you're saying, no, it doesn't really solve itself. Go build your company that way, but don't lose sight of your personal exit.
4: Well, I mean I think, you know, we saw this with the cipher. I mean, when I joined the firm as a partner in 2007, it it really was because, you know, the two founders were looking for an exit scenario and they didn't really have one. I mean, they were, you know, running on a technology platform, not maximizing that from a licensing or software as a service component. So, you know, they were strictly a services-based business. Well, when you look at the valuations for services-based businesses versus, you know, technology companies, there's no, you know, there's no comparison. I mean, the technology company valuations are, you know, exponentially higher. And so for them, it was about taking a step back and saying like, hey, we've been running this company for 10 years. We want to be out of here at some point. What's the, you know, how are we really going to monetize this? And so I don't think it, it hurts to start thinking about it too soon. I mean,
3: you, know, you don't want to do
4: it to the detriment of your business, but you also don't want to put the blinders on and just build blindly and then hope at some point you're going to be able to sell it.
3: I totally agree. So there is this balance again. Build a company worth building that will last for a long time. But keep in mind your exit, which is not the same as simply build a company so you can get out of it. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Tip number two.
4: Um, you know, I mean, I think you know we've talked a lot about women and and gender bias and private equity firms, and I you know i I certainly don't want to give the impression that it's you know that you can't get funding as a female founder because you can and and I'm proof of that. Um, you know, I think it's just understanding the dynamics there and and to really be selective about who you, who you're working with and that they and that you're honest about the the process and about acknowledging sort of upfront gender bias. I read this really interesting article where they're like, if you know, you should kind of call it out before it even happens and say, listen, I you know, you don't have any women in your firm and we probably aren't communicating in different ways and I just wanna I just wanna, you know, put it out there on the table. I've never actually done that myself, but I think one of the things that has really benefited me is that I really try, if there is a situation that comes up where I think like, eh, I'm not getting a fair shake because I'm a woman or you've said something kind of weird that makes me uncomfortable, is that I call it out as soon as it happens. I call it out in the moment. And that can be a really uncomfortable thing to do. And I've certainly had situations in my own life, you know, where I haven't called it out right away. And then I have like really kind of agonized out about it afterwards.
3: Okay. So you're saying that your tip really is, and everybody's got their own style. Some say call it out in advance, kind of put it on the table and then, in the hopes, if you will, that people will now focus on your issues and company and what you're building rather than focusing on this, you know, elephant in the room. Yeah, you are all guys and I'm a gal, that kind of thing. But all right, maybe not. You're saying, no, be selective about who you work with and then acknowledge the bias when it happens, but don't let it sit. Men or women makes no difference, but acknowledge bias when it happens, regardless of who kind of throws it out there. Yes. Agree. Okay, good tip. And tip number three. Yeah, hottest
5: for last. Yeah, the hottest for last. Well, I would like to get a little bit more global with this. What is your proposal for dealing with the whole issue of gender bias and not enough women companies getting founded? How do we tackle this as a group? I mean, how do we raise the awareness? What can we do? What would you do? What do you do?
4: Yeah. Well, I do, I do run a nonprofit in the marketing measurement industry called Women in Research. And a lot of, you know, the programming and (laughs) events that we do are designed to really illuminate opportunities for women in business. So let's start thinking about not just getting up to like a project manager or an account manager, but how do you get into the C suite or how do you actually go and start your own firm? And so I think again, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion, I do think, like, the more female role models that we can present, that we can illuminate, that we can put out in front, I think that helps a lot to get other women thinking, hey, you know, that could be my career. I could do that startup, you know, and I think providing those examples are really, really valuable.
3: I would agree, and I think that beyond providing female role models for young girls to follow and so on, it grows the comfort level of everyone, from little boys and girls to adults. Once you have more and more presence of these female role models being marketed, if you will, it's not just they have to exist. They need good marketing. They need good PR, right? Once it is in the public site on a regular basis, we become comfortable with it, right? The sun yeah. shines every day. We become comfortable with it. Wait, it's raining? Or it rains all the time and suddenly the sun shows up. It's like, wait, it's sunny? You know, so as long as it is the commonplace, I think there's uh, some serious value. What is the name of your nonprofit again? Just so folks can write this down if they'd like to. It's called Women in Research. Women yep. in Research. Yep. Okay. We have an amazing Good website,
4: womeninresearch.com. So,
3: okay. So it's yeah. a .com, not .org?
4: It is a .org, but we're okay. just in the middle of launching our new site, and it's sitting on the .org URL. So it'll be .org as of next week.
5: <laughs> Thanks so much, Kristen. That's great information about womeninresearch.org. And we'll certainly put that link up on our Facebook page so people can go and find it. But how do, would our listeners reach you?
4: So my consulting website is, and, and this is going to be a real mind melder for everyone, it's kristinluck.com. So <laughs> <laughs> type my name in. You can get to my growth strategy website and it, it gives an overview of um, the types of companies I work with and the types
3: of things that I advise on. Well, so that's- folks, that's Kristen with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, luck, dot com.
5: Kristen, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thanks so much for having me again. We hope to have you again soon, I'm sure. Okay, that's it for this Monday at CEO Coach. We'd like to thank our producers at Webmaster FM for their support. You can download these shows through webmasterradio.fm, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and many other places around the web. You can find links and more at facebook.com slash Podcast. Do stop by and hit the like button so we will know you were there. And tell us what you'd like to hear about on CEO Coach. Till next week.